All right, if you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 46. For any who are visiting with us, we are working our way through the book of Genesis. Uh, chapter by chapter or passage by passage. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for um, your word. We thank you that your word teaches us to look outside ourselves and to see Christ. And I ask that as we look into your holy word, that we would see him this morning, that you would encourage us, strengthen us, um, and help us to have a forward-looking uh, view of all things, knowing that uh, you are coming back for your own, that at the end of history, you win and that there is a glory that awaits us because we are in Christ our Lord. We pray in His name. Amen. Near the beginning of my second year of seminary in Philadelphia, uh, my wife and I were driving along in Delaware. The rain uh, it had just rained and we were coming off a bridge. We hydroplaned right up underneath another car, totaled our car. Uh, Rachel was a little infant sitting in the back seat in her little car carrier. And we were perfectly fine, but not so the car. Uh, it was totaled. Um, this was during the first semester of the middle year at Westminster Seminary. And this middle year, this first semester of the middle year, is notoriously difficult because of the exege all the exegesis papers, all the theology papers that you have to write. And I decided, because I wanted to take this one counseling course, uh, Dynamics of Biblical Change, which was not offered in the uh, MDiv program, that I added that on top of my full load. And um, I also worked two different jobs uh, as a security guard and as a college minister in a church on the edge of the University of Pennsylvania. Um, and money was always tight. Now that we wrecked our car, it was even tighter. This was an, ex um, an extremely stressful time for my wife and for me. We went to buy a car one Saturday. Maybe, I think I probably told this six or more years ago, so you may remember this, but we went to buy a car. Um, on one Saturday, and it was the dealer special. You know, you look in the newspaper, and there's this one car that they have there to draw everybody in. Well, I think we got there well before them opening the door, and we bought this, the dealer special. Um, got a great deal on a minivan. Um, you get what you pay for. <laughs> a couple of days later, the, the minivan stopped working. The timing belt broke. And it would take more than $800 to fix it. Uh, this was before any of the, the lemon laws had been written into law. Needless to say, this added to the stress that my wife and I were experiencing. I went into the dealer and we had a, a conversation. <laughs> uh, so they fixed the timing belt for $400. Uh, we got it fixed, brought it home. A couple of days later, I went out to get in the car, 
I couldn't find it. I walked up and down our street looking for my car. Finally, I looked down to the at the place where I where I knew that I had parked it the night before. There was a little pile of glass. Uh, the the Philadelphia police found it inside a store. Someone had stolen it, backed it into the store. They were going to fill it up with clothing and then drive it out. But as they there was a little um, six inch brick wall. Uh, down at the bottom to hold the glass in place. It broke the uh, wheel off the axle. And so they found our van in the middle of the store. So now we're without a vehicle. Uh, and I've got to get to school. I've got to get to my two jobs. Because the car was stolen, it took a long time for the insurance claim to be worked out. So the stress is, is continuing to mount. Um, my wife and I fought an awful lot during that time just because life was difficult. Not that she was bad, not that necessarily I was doing anything wrong. It was just life was difficult and somebody was going to bear the brunt of it. Um, we, we did not lean upon the Lord during that time. Uh, we prayed some. We you know, talked about God providing for us, but we really let our circumstances take a stranglehold on our lives. I'm sure it was only just a few weeks for our insurance claim to be cleared, but it seemed like months. And when we received a check from the insurance company, it was for $1,500 more than we paid for the car in the first place. Apparently, this dealer special was was a deal except for the fact that it was going to break after a couple of days. <laughs> so um, I did the right thing. I called the insurance company and said, you gave us too much money. But they said that Pennsylvania state law uh, required that they pay us the average between the blue book, the Kelly blue book value, and some other book that they have to determine the value of a car. So even with the timing belt being fixed and four, being $400 out, out of our pocket, we cleared over $1,000. When we found out um, that we had this extra money in our pocket, that God had indeed provided, we were embarrassed that we did not trust the Lord from the beginning. How many times have you been red-faced with embarrassment because God blessed you even when you were not leaning upon Him, but instead allowing your circumstances to put you in its stranglehold? Here's what I believe God is teaching us here in Genesis 46. God is teaching us that He is faithful to His children and that glory awaits those who trust in Him, however imperfect um, may be their faith, however difficult their present circumstances. God is faithful to His children. Glory awaits. It always awaits His children even in spite of us. If you have your Bibles open, follow along as I read Genesis 46. I'm going to read only verses 1-7 through 7 right now. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then God said, I am God, the God of your father, 
Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones and their wives, and the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and all their goods which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt." My experience in Philadelphia paralleled Jacob's uh, experience. You remember uh, in the past few weeks how Joseph was putting a squeeze on his brothers? Um, And Jacob, when they would return back to the land of Canaan, Jacob did not lean upon the Lord. He let his circumstances put a stranglehold on him. So listen to what Jacob said before he knew Joseph was alive and that Joseph had risen to this high position in Egypt. His attitude was not an attitude of faith. He told his sons, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. This is not the attitude of faith. This is utter self-centeredness on Jacob's part. There's no mention of God. There's no acknowledgement of God's past faithfulness. There's no recognition of God's sovereign goodness. It's as if Jacob had forgotten that God loved him. It's as if Jacob had forgotten the way that God had been faithful to Jacob um, over the past um, many, many decades. Have you ever acted like that? Even though you love and trust God, have there been times when you acted as if God did not exist? I think this is a common way that God's own people dishonor the Lord quite frequently. Even though Jacob is acting like a practical atheist, it's important for us to realize that God did not waver He did not waver in any of His promises to Jacob. Glory awaited Jacob in spite of Jacob's imperfect faith. And glory awaits us as believers uh, in spite of our imperfect, uh, imperfect faith. The glory that I'm speaking of here that awaits us is not... This, this glory does not simply reside for us and wait for us in heaven only, in the great by and by after we die. Rather, God has promised to work all things together for our good now. God has promised to bless and care for His children now. God calls Himself in the book of James, James chapter 1, calls Himself the ever-faithful Father of lights, um, who is the source of every good and perfect gift that we receive. And I'm telling I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. You acknowledge this fact every time you pray before you receive a meal. You thank God for his daily blessings, for his continual provision. But boy, when we're being squeezed by circumstances, when our circumstances have us in its grip, in its stranglehold, it's easy to forget, isn't it? 
that God has promised to bless us. That God has promised to give us everything we need for life and for godliness. Roman, I mean, sorry, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Put God and His kingdom first. Everything you need for clothing and food and things like that, shelter, He'll add those things to you as well. God described the glory that awaited Jacob down in Egypt here in verses 3 and 4. So again, look with me at verses 3 and 4. God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I will, I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. And so God is being very gracious here to Jacob and telling him, here's what's about to happen. Here's what's around the corner. You don't know maybe what the future is going to hold. You certainly have not acted as if I control the future, Jacob, uh, God was saying to Jacob. But here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go with you down to Egypt. Don't be afraid to go down there. You're going to see your son Joseph, whom you thought was dead. In fact, he's going, he's going to close your eyes in death. And all the Israelites will one day come back to the land of Canaan. God's not going to tell you, I would assume, about the glory that awaits you around the corner. All you may be able to see are the circumstances that have you in its stranglehold. But God has promised. He has given you all of His great and precious promises to bless you, to keep you, to work all things together for your good, and all of His promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Let me pause right here to say a word or two about Christian motivation. As Christians, to to build up our motivation to live for the Lord, to to obey the Lord, to, to walk with the Lord, what we often do is look back to the cross for our motivation. Uh, what Christ did there in dying for our sins, for uh, Him uh, rising from the dead uh, for our justification. And there's nothing wrong with looking back to the cross. But the Bible also instructs us to look forward. To look forward to the glory and the blessing that God has promised to us in the future. Hebrews 11.1, where we have the clearest definition of faith in all the Bible, it doesn't talk about looking backwards. It talks about looking forwards. It defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for. And think about the giants of the faith in Hebrews 11. They all looked forward to the, to the, um, to the land and to the blessings that they were going to receive. They all looked forward in faith. The Apostle Paul writing after the death and resurrection of Christ, uh, looked forward in faith. Peter as well. Paul wrote uh, that Christ will freely give us all things. Not that He already has. Well, He has in Christ. But He will continually give us all things because Christ has all things. He will give this to us. Peter wrote that God will give us 
all things that pertain to life and for godliness. J.C. Ryle, the great 19th century Anglican pastor, said this, God is continually holding out inducements to man to listen to Him, obey Him, and serve Him. He has shown His perfect knowledge of human nature by spreading over the Bible a perfect wealth of promises suitable to every kind of experience and condition of life. Their name is legion. Uh, normally we think of legion as being a bad thing. He's, he's saying legion in terms of the promises. Uh, God has given us a legion of promises for our every circumstance. The subject is almost inexhaustible, he continues. There is hardly a step in man's life, childhood to old age, hardly any position in which man can be placed for which the Bible has not held out encouragement to everyone who desires to do right in the sight of God. There are shalls and wills in God's treasury for every condition. The shalls and wills are not you shall or you will as if uh, God's given us commands. Rather, these are the future tense. Uh, There are shalls and wills uh, of God's promises. Um, He shall do this for us. He will be faithful to us. Not only in our past, but also in our future and in our, our present and our future. These are promises full and free that God has given to His children. Um, I'd like to say a little more about this. However, I'm going to keep moving. Uh, Look with me at verses 29 through 34. Let me uh, back up to verse 28 of uh, Genesis 46. And... He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented him to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to all his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds. For they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians." Notice that the Israelites got the best and richest of the land that Egypt had to offer. But they got this land because of their low and their detestable, or as it says in our our, uh, text, um, their abominable um, position as shepherds. The Bible says that God did not choose the high and the mighty or the wise and the wonderful to be His children. You know how, how the Bible reads in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, For consider your calling, brothers, 
Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble, of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the, the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Just as God used the Israelites' low position to bring them the best of the land, so also God uses your low position to give you His riches. Life can be very difficult. God knows your aches and your pains. God knows that there are several here in our congregation who are without work because of this difficult economy. God knows the difficulties and struggles you experience every day in your life. He knows the things which you are lacking. He knows your low position. But in spite of your low position, in spite of your pains, in spite of your present difficulties, glory awaits. Just as God used Israel's low position um, as despised shepherds, He will use your low position to sweeten your glory. Do you believe that the Beatitudes are true? Listen to the low position that God promised. Um, the low position um, that results in the highest position. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that his whole outlook upon everything that happens to him should be governed by three things. By his realization of who he is, by his consciousness of where he's going, and by his knowledge of what awaits him when he gets there. In other words, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, however low your position, however imperfect your faith, glory awaits you. I've read uh, 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5 at many funerals. And as I was thinking about this sermon and glory awaits, um, I realized that reading this passage at a funeral um, does the person um, 
that is being memorialized, it does them very little good. So I want to read it now for you, for your present and future benefit. And don't worry, we're getting very close to being to concluding here. Listen to Second Corinthians chapter four, beginning with verse thirteen, and I'll go through chapter five, verse ten. And think about this in relation to yourself. The glory that awaits you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. For it, for it is all for your sake that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. For we, for if, I'm sorry, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may be, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This passage is very motivating. But it, call, it, it instructs us to look forward uh, for our motivation. Look forward to what God has promised. You can overcome discouragement because glory awaits. You can overcome temptation because glory awaits. You can trust God in the midst of present difficulty because glory awaits. How can you be sure that glory awaits? Going back to Genesis 46, verse 28. He had sent Judah ahead of him. This is talking about Jacob. Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. This little detail that Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to find the way to Goshen is not an incidental detail that happened to just accidentally slip into the Bible. Uh, rather, the Bible says very distinctly that because Judah went ahead of them, they came into the land of Goshen. He went and prepared the way. He went and found the way. 
He went and led God's people into Goshen. We have one who descended from Judah, who has led our way. And because He has led our way, glory awaits. Listen to Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We could even uh, insert in present time of need, in future time of need. We have one from Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has gone before us. Glory awaits us because He went and secured it by His death and by His resurrection and by His ascension. We have glory awaiting us because He has sent His Spirit to... um, to mark us with a seal guaranteeing our glorious inheritance. We Glory awaits us because we are in Christ and God will take us to be where He is. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray for every person here for them to renew their faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we dishonor You so many ways um, by, um, by living as practical atheists, confessing You as our Lord, and yet worrying about our circumstances. Um, confessing You as our Savior and living as if this world were all there was. God, I pray You renew our faith. If there is any here who do not know Christ, draw them to, him, to, him, to the Lord Jesus. We ask this in His name. Amen.